Hello and welcome to the Billion Dollar Broker Podcast. My name is Ross LeCain. I'm bringing my 25 years industry experience together with leading experts around the globe to give you the insights on how to live a better life and grow a profitable mortgage broking business that you are proud of. Welcome to another episode of the Billion Dollar Broker. I'm Ross LeCain. Today, we've got a little bit of a different flavor in our podcast. I've got Luke Mathers. And Luke was one of the original directors of Specsavers in Australia. He was part of their biggest retail rollout in Australia's history. The Specsavers team opened 100 stores in 100 days and transformed the industry. Uh, nowadays, Luke's adamant that stress can be good for you. And he believes that high performers need to become what he calls stress Teflon. Uh, he's here to talk to us as brokers about how to make the stress that we deal in our lives not stick. He's the author of three books, Stress Test, Stress Teflon, Reset, and most recently, Curious Habits. Uh, he's going to help you get curious when the pressure is on. Welcome, Luke. G'day, Ross. Good to see you. Good to see Thanks you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, pleasure. We recently connected at the Mike Perot conference in Gold Coast a couple of weeks ago and you presented before me. And you know, we were having a chat before the, the conference started and I was sharing a little bit about my story, sort of where we, you know, you get all the trimmings of success in terms of, you know, the, the billion dollar loan book in my case, the property portfolio. And you start asking those sort of deeper questions about why am I doing this? And you had a name for it, right? And we sort of bonded <laughs> yeah. over that. What was your name for this sort of thing that I was feeling? Uh, I call it the top of the mountain syndrome. That one of the big drivers that we have in life, and particularly blokes and particularly people that get very, very caught up. And I, I almost call them achievement addicts now that, that sort of we get caught up in, I have to achieve this, have to achieve that, have to hit this next deadline, have to hit this next, next goal I'm after. And I think we can get a little bit addicted to that. And one of the problems that we get is when we get all of those goals that we wanted, we have this little existential crisis where it's like, oh my God, what am I going to do next? I've got, you know, I think the worst things you can have is not get anything you want and get everything you want. Both of those end up in the, in the same sort of you know, emotional shitstorm. And I kind of went back through my life a little bit and looked at all the different things, all of the goals I'd set and all of the goals that I'd reached. And there was a lot of, a lot of the times where I got to where I wanted to be and then went, oh, okay. As in like the view from the top of the mountain wasn't quite as good as you anticipated it being. It didn't last as long. And we all, we're all on a hedonic treadmill. We're all going to get used to whatever our, our sort of normal is. And the hassle with that is you can get this little existential crisis that's like, oh shit, what do I do now? And without that goal to aim at that sort of top of the mountain to go for, life gets really hard. And um, that was kind of the, the beginning of me sort of going and writing books and discovering how humans work. I actually, it, it, it's a story that's a weird one. I went, to, I went to the doctor and I was just kind of, I was just a bit blur, a bit sort of not quite, not quite sort of feeling life. 
And I went to the doctor and explained this and said, look, I, I really wanted to get a business that was doing X. It's now doing X. I wanted to be the number one in the country. I'm number one in the country, all of those sort of things. I got all of the, all of the goals that I'd aimed at, but there was a sort of languishing that went along with it. And I, I told the doctor this, he's asked me about two or three really unin spectacularly uninsightful questions. And he'd given me a prescription for an antidepressant. And um, you know, I, I live in Lukeland where unicorns fart rainbows and everything's awesome. So I'm the least in need of an antidepressant in the whole world. <laughs> but I actually took these tablets for a little while and it actually made put a bit of pep in my step and I fired up a little bit. And then I went, well, why am I taking antidepressants to get serotonin in my body? What is serotonin and how can I get more of it? And that's, this was probably seven or eight years ago. And it's just sent me down a, down a rabbit hole of why humans do the things we do. And a lot of it comes down to our biology. And I think we've got to understand how, how things like our stress system works, how things like the reward systems in our body work. And if we know the rules to how they work, then we can kind of hack the system a little bit and have a bit more fun and enjoy this sort of reaching the goals and reaching top of the mountains rather than that being an end point. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, because what you said relates to to me, you know, getting to that point. And I guess the realization I came to was, you know, you can't find the happiness that you're looking for outside of yourself. The next property, the next hundred thousand dollars worth mm -hmm. of income isn't gonna do it, right? That sort of happiness has to come from within so you know rather than looking you know at that stage outside of yourself for that how can we sort of as you mentioned reframe it and work with you know our thoughts and our emotions and you know on that sort of deeper level to achieve what isn't possible from the next thing outside that that reward as you said is is going to be short short lasting yeah, it is. And I think one of the things about it is that we go, you know, um, a lot, there's a really cool quote by um, Tim Minchin where he says, don't go searching for happiness, you know, because that, that's not going to be where, where you're going to find it. It's going to be a byproduct of whatever you do. So, you know, the things like being able to do good things, add to, add to your community, add to your world, add to your clients, make them do some really good stuff for them and happiness will be a byproduct for it. Yeah. Um, as far as stress Teflon goes, and there, there's a, another word that the Greeks use called eudaimonia. Mm. And eudaimonia is a, is a Greek word that basically means the happiness and well-being and spiritual feeling good about yourself that comes from doing good shit. All right. And there's something about it. If you're doing your job really well, you're helping lots of people get the best mortgage they can. You, and you're doing your job really, really well. There's a happiness that comes along alongside of that that isn't our goal it's a byproduct and i think a few of us sort of put happiness on the other side of a horizon if i get this if i get another car if i pay off my house if i get a billion dollar mortgage book you know broker business then i'll be happy and the hassle is it's just not how it works no. that we've got to choose to be happy and then we're more likely to actually we've got to notice the things that bring us joy and we're more not likely then to actually go ahead and achieve some of those goals and you know it sounds really cliche, but that whole enjoying the journey rather than just looking for the for the end result. And I think that was the mistake I made for a lot of years. I put happiness on the other side of some sort of cognitive horizon.
Mm. And you just never get there. Yeah, it's kind of like swimming for the horizon. You're not going to get no, there. No, exactly. And, you know, a lot of the, you know, since, you know, I've been on a similar journey to you by the sounds of things. So after the, you know, the, my mortgage career, I started asking a lot of those deeper questions and read, you know, a lot of different, you know, mindset and spiritual books and looking at it. And, you know, the biggest learning that you get out of sort of diving deeper is, you know, you're not actually, it's not about, um having a happy life you are living right and so you know it, it what you are and the happiness that you are is sort of you know it's not something that's a destination that you've got to get to it's already within you it's already um within you it's about letting go of the, a lot of the stuff that's restricting you from being that natural state right because you look and you think of the people when they're happiest it might be when they're on holidays, right? And they get to a point where they slow down and they relax and they start to be really present and they enjoy the moment and be grateful for the moment that it's around them. But we don't do that enough in our own lives and just, you know, sit back and, you know, really be grateful for, well, how good do I actually have it right now, right? We're searching for something. Instead of, you know, actually being it, we're searching for some object that's not going to give it to us. Yeah, I love, I love the concept of the gap and the gain, which is uh, a coach called Dan Sullivan and Benjamin Hardy wrote a book called The Gap and the Gain. And the idea of it is here's where you were a few years ago. Here's where, where, what your ideal version is. We live somewhere in between that, mm. between where we were and where our ideal is. Mm. And we tend to live in the gap between if I get to this, then it will all be better. And we don't kind of build on the gains that we've made. And you, you get people that might have a great broking business and they look at it and think, oh, it's not good enough. It needs to get to X, Y, and Z. But if you looked back five years, if five years ago, you could look at it and say, wow, this is where you are now, you'd be pretty stoked. We don't build on those gains. And I love the idea of how do we narrow the gap between where we are and where we want to be. And mm -hmm. I, th I think there's a really cool concept there to be able to have gratitude for what we're getting to do and how we're getting to help the world acceptance for this is where i am this is this is i've got to accept that and then a purpose of where i want to go forward and i think if we can have gratitude acceptance and purpose i think we actually narrow that gap and we get closer to where we want to be and the thing about that is that we're never going to narrow that gap completely you know mm. that that sort of where you want to be is almost an asymptote you might get close to it but you're never going to actually get there yeah and I love that concept too, that we've just got to, we've got to just do really good stuff in the world and be able to be contribute. You know, one of, one of the things about stress Teflon, there's like an ABCs to stress Teflon that we've got to have awareness. We've got to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. We've got to have belonging. Humans are designed to be together. We're not designed to be on our own. We're lone wolves wouldn't have survived 10,000 years ago. So we've got to have belonging. We've got to have people who we love, people who love us back. And, we, and the last one is we've got to contribute. And one of the hassles that we can all do is we do something that contributes. It's really good. It's helped this person out. And then we just jump onto what's next. We don't actually stop and savor some of that. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a really cool thing of noticing the things that I'm contributing with. Even to just say, look, I've just changed your mortgage and I've saved you, you know, $1,700 a year or $10,000 a year, however much you've saved. And take notice of that because that's actually going to reinforce that good behavior and make you want to do it again and make you feel good about being you. Yeah, I love that. And that 
you know, it was something that we did within our business of a daily basis. And because we had a big team and, you know, lots of processing staff and, you know, as brokers, we get the joy of seeing those things and living and experiencing it. But quite often, you know, what we don't is feed it back down to the team that are actually making it happen, right? Mm. So for them, it can feel like, you know, a bit like Groundhog Day. You know, I come in, I've got another five files that I've got to plow through and they're not getting the sort of the joy and seeing on that sort of, because they're not having the initial conversation. So, you know, one of the things that we made sure that we did in our daily stand-up meeting was to ensure that we shared some of those client wins with the team yeah. because then, you know, it gives it that purpose in terms of, well, why do we actually do what we do? And as mortgage brokers, we get such a gift, right? Because, you know, Luke, who do you tell your most intimate financial details to? Yeah, mortgage brokers and accountants, they get, yeah, they get the lot. So Exactly, they get the lot, but you wouldn't tell your mum, you wouldn't tell your brother, you wouldn't nah. tell just the, those those details so we get a real privilege and you know what we're able to create in terms of whether it be savings or wealth or you know an increase in a property price and valuation you know these are things that are life transformational and mm -hmm. can and can serve people on a really deep level right so i think you know, sharing those stories amongst your team is so powerful and, you know, for the reasons that you were saying. Yeah, and it, it fits into both both ends of that. It's got gratitude, acceptance and purpose in that, that we need to have all three of those. Mm -hmm. And you've got that purpose of helping people be financially secure, but then the gratitude for the people that are helping you to get there, all of those people that are doing, you know, that administrative stuff in the background and making sure you're nice and grateful for them because, you know, they... um they probably struggle a little bit because they don't get that that contact with the person who you're dealing with. Hmm. I think, you know, for me, and one that I've been sort of wrestling with lately is the acceptance one, right? Okay. And acceptance has a number of parts to it. You know, acceptance is around that sort of non-judgment and non-judgment of others, but it starts with the non-judgment of self, right? And when the more sort of aware I come of the sort of the subtleties in terms of my thoughts and my emotions, I realize the way that I actually speak to myself, I wouldn't speak to anyone else, right? Like no. <laughs> if someone talked to me the way I talk to me, sometimes I'd punch him in the head. It'd be like, you know, it, right. our, our self-talk, it's, it's actually a lot of the workshops and stuff I run yeah. You know, one of the big ones I do is, is called a vision reset. And it's about actually getting clear about what the best version of you looks like and make sure that that's the one that's talking to you. Mm. Now, we all have that kind of that little angel and devil on our shoulders that we can kind of, you know, we have a little angel on one shoulder and a devil on the others, like the cartoons. Yeah. And, and the hassle with them is that they both sound the same. And you've got to be able to work out when your angel's talking and when your devil's talking. And when you do that, you're kind of like, yeah, okay, that's the little version of me talking now. Yeah. How am I going to find the better version of me to help me go ahead? So exactly. it's um, any tips for, you know, obviously for me, but for the other brokers where, because, you know, one of the, the teachers that I speak to, a lady by the name of Tara Brock that. Uh, oh, she's great. Yeah, back in the day, um, Tim Ferriss sort of, I listened to a lot of his podcasts and he put me on to Tara Brock. And, you know, one of the things that she talks about 
is that it's very common in society that we have this trance of unworthiness, right? And mm. quite often it might be when we're... What a talking. great expression, the trance of unworthiness. Yeah, that we, you know, we get into this trance and, you know, you almost feel it like at the end of the day. And I'll be interested to hear your feedback because I know you've written the book about curious habits because quite often when we get into this trance and we're tired and we're at the end of the day and yes I know I want to be aware of the habit I want to stop what I'm doing but it's almost like this sort of trance sort of takes us over a little bit and so yeah keen to sort of get your take on it in terms of how do we sort of you know when we're in that trance how do we get out of it yeah I I think it all comes down to awareness awareness is huge and one thing we do in the workshops that I run is that we we get we do a thing called finding Carlos and Carlos is the better version of me. It's a long story, but Carlos is the best version of me. And I have little Luke on one shoulder. He's my devil and I have Carlos and one's not good enough and the other one, the other one we trust and we'll go ahead. And what we do in these workshops is we get really we, we dig deep into what actually the best version of you, what are the characteristics of you at your best? And mine is I'm curious, creative and generous. Mm. So if I'm being curious and creative and generous, I'm as happy as a pig in shit. I'm loving life. All right. And in a job now, I get to run workshops. I get to do coaching one-on-one with people. And I get to be curious about, you know, what's going on in their world, creative about how to help them see different ways of looking at things and then generous with my time and my energy. All right. So I get to do that for a living. All right. And then I, I know what the little version of me is. The little version of me has a bit of imposter syndrome. So when those imposter thoughts start coming up, I know that's little Luke talking. Yeah. And little Luke can also sound really similar to some people in your life that perhaps haven't been as supportive as they could in the past and, and want to tell you reasons why you can't do what you want to do. Um, I'm the youngest of, of, I've got three older sisters and one of the, and they, they kind of look at me as the, the silly little younger brother. And every now and then I feel like that's what my sisters would be saying about it. And it's not true. They're not saying that at all. I'm making that story up. And so what we've got to do is understand that when we're making up a story, that we're making that shit up. That there's another story that we could make up that would be just as true that would actually be beneficial and helpful to us. So I, I think if, if we just acknowledge that whatever we're thinking about in the future, is a made up story, then we may as well make up a story that's actually going to serve us. I love that. I love that. And I know um, when we were chatting on the phone, sort of organizing this, and I don't know if you did it on purpose, but I was talking about, you know, something around sort of my anxiety sort of when I was at a broker and you're like, well, that served you, didn't it? That was a superpower, right? You reframed the way that I was looking at it to create something that I had in my head as a negative and you turned it into a positive, right? That that Mm -hmm. was, you know, it was a superpower and say, hey, well, if you didn't do that, you wouldn't be as good as what you are now because that helps you actually because by having those thoughts and second gets and you actually provide a better product and a better service. I do the work and I, I, you know, I've got to prove that I'm good enough and all of that sort of stuff. So, but that helps, but there's a great line, a great book by a guy called Marshall Goldsmith that, and he says, what got us to here won't get us to there. And those thoughts and things might get you fired up and it might get you motivated and it might get you started and on, on track. 
But those same thoughts that helped you at one stage of your career aren't going to help you at another stage. So we need to actually work out when we've got to discard some of the habits that were beneficial for us years ago and embrace some new ones. And that's what sort of Curious Habits is all about, to actually get curious about what we're doing, get curious about the stories we're telling ourselves and see whether they're helping us or not. And if they're not, then change it. One of the things you talked about then was, um, was it a positive or negative thing? And I, I reckon that particularly with emotions, I think that can actually probably send the wrong message. I think it's gonna be whether it's a helpful or an unhelpful emotion. Yeah, you, you might say something like anger is a, a negative emotion, but there are times when anger is actually really good and it's going to help you survive when you have to, if you're in a fight or something like that. Anger is actually, there's nothing negative about it at all. Is it helpful or is it not? Mm. And, and to be able to ask that question and then say, well, what other option have I got here? How else could I look at it? And I think there's a, there's a real basis, I reckon, to any of this behavior change stuff that it starts with awareness. Unless you have awareness of what you're doing, nothing changes. An awareness of what you're getting out of what you're doing as well, which is a really one to get really curious about. Then you have options. I can go this way or that way. And then you have actions. You've actually got to try something different and see how it goes. And then you go back to awareness. How did that go? Did it work well? If it did, let's do it again. If it didn't, let's not. But without awareness and stopping and, and getting out of the day-to-day -day grind and actually stopping and being aware of what you're doing and what you're getting out of it, then you can find options and then you can try different ways and see how they go. And there's a whole joy to be had from the curiosity of trying new ways to do things. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've heard you speak and, uh, you know, that curiosity, I think, is in, important, right? Because rather than, you know, beating ourselves up about having these sort of stress or anxious feelings in terms of, you know, to me, that curiosity, when you went, when you mention the term curiosity it's around you know how can I bring a like a more of a loving sort of kindness to this oh because you know you think about the feeling when you're curious it's a you know curiosity is is more of a positive type uh, emotion in terms of the way that I sort of perceive curious so by sort well, rather of, than judgmental that yeah. you know um, there's a, I don't know if you're a Ted Lasso fan. Did you watch Ted Lasso? No, no, no. Uh, there's a scene in Ted Lasso when he says, one of the lines he, he quoted was, be curious, not judgmental. And I think if we can hang on to curiosity a little bit more, particularly when dealing with team members and stuff, we can jump to, we can jump to that sort of judgmental side of us really, really quickly. And I think to be curious about actually what the other person is doing and what, what are their reasons and what were their options is actually a really cool thing to just hang with curiosity a little bit longer before we start judging both other people and ourselves, I guess. Yeah. And, and curiosity can really help with that rather than sort of, you know, just jumping to being judgmental and you didn't look at it exactly the same way I did it, so you must be wrong. Yeah, and particularly in a leadership position, I think that's a really big trap to fall into. Definitely. And, you know, one of the things that I teach even with sales, right, like in, uh, I talk a lot about, you know, rather than say, I'm going to pick up the phone, I'm going to make 20 sales calls today, mm -hmm. pick up the phone and say, I'm going to make 20 curiosity calls. I'm yep. just going to call and I'm curious to see if I can help this person. Right? I'm going to find, yeah, great way to put it. I'm going to get curious to see if I can help this person. 
Exactly. And it's an if thing. I'm not selling my thing. I'm seeing if I can help you. Exactly. And, you know, if I get an answer, I get a response that, hey, they're busy. And, well, I've still achieved my goal, right? Because I've, I've determined whether I could help them at that point in time, right? And it takes the whole thing. I, I'm, you know, a sales and it's going to be a yes or no. It's just a curiosity call. So I'm, I'm calling because, you know, the, my purpose is to add value on the planet. I know that's where I get my happiness and the source of joy from. So I'm just going to call and I'm going to be curious to see how I can help. Yeah. Right? And, and one, of the, one of the things about that is, it, is particularly in these sort of sales roles, when you're doing some of those calls, we get very caught up in the scripts. Mm-hmm. All right. And it's really easy to get caught up in this is what I got to say. And when they say this, I'll say that and all of that whole running the content of the conversation around in your head. Mm-hmm. And I actually reckon that doesn't do us any favors. I think what we when we start running the content around in our head, you've got to know your content well enough so you can explain what you've got to explain. But I think it's people can hear your content, but they smell your intent. Mm-hmm. If your, your intent is curiosity, can I help you? People are going to smell that. And the beauty of that is it gets rid of things like commission breath and stuff like that, because they're smelling that you're actually genuinely curious and you're there to help. Mm-hmm. And so I think whenever you catch yourself running through the content or running through the words you're going to say, just stop, wait for a minute and sort of say, okay, my, my, you know, my intent here is to see whether I can help you and whether I can be of service. If I can, great. If I can't, that's cool too. Yeah, so we've talked about anger. We've talked about um, some of the other emotions. So let's, you know, in the mortgage broking world, it, we are in a position and, you know, after de- being in the business for 17 years, it's constant deadlines, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, we've got cooling off periods. Everything has to happen in a certain timeline for us to, you know, meet the deadline, we need to get evaluation ordered on time. We need to make sure that we get a fast approval. So we need to make sure that we get dot the I's and cross the T's because the time is constantly sort of ticking. And, you know, the best brokers, you know, are almost become a victim of their success because they're good at what they do. So they get to the point where they get more and more clients and that business grows organically. They hire more people and they grow out of those people. So at every level, there's sort of challenges around and, you know, they have to deal with sort of stress. So, mm-hmm. you know, what are some of your tips for mortgage brokers to sort of deal with the the stress that comes as a natural byproduct? Uh, you know, one of the things that i um as we sort of joke about is that you know mortgage brokers are paid to stress on the client's behalf right because we're not just looking at lender a we're looking hey luke if your lender a falls over i've then got to look i've got b c and d lined up ready lined up so you know we're almost paid to um to to stress or to you know to to have those bases covered on your behalf right so you know, what are your, some of your suggestions in terms of, you know, for the brokers that are, you know, to deal with the stress? So you mentioned a great one, which was the, you know, the awareness um, and then the option. The, action. Yeah, the awareness one, the awareness one comes down to, I actually think one of the things we need to be aware of, and I'm constantly amazed by how many people aren't aware of this, is what are the physical signs that your body's going to tell you when you're, when you're under the pump, when you're stressed? All right. I know when I'm stressed, I get knots in my stomach. 
All right. I know I get knots in my stomach and my shoulders lift up a little bit. And so the moment pain above my eye, like it's a yeah. Yeah, Okay, (laughs) you'll probably find that one's actually down the line a little bit. That's probably when it's been chronic for a while. Okay. All right. So there'll be something else that happens in the in the meantime, and it might be I I sort of touch my face. It might be I I play with my ears. Yeah. One guy I saw recently at a workshop said I sweat through my head. (laughs) All right. So the moment he feels like sweating through it, it might be your tongue stuck to the roof of your mouth. Your mouth goes dry. Um, some people, you get the fight or flight response. Some people will pull back. They'll fly. They'll, they'll want to get away from it and they'll go all quiet. Mm. So to actually understand what your in the moment right now response is to stress and what your body tells you. All right. And, you know, I know mine's not in the stomach. What, what would yours be? You know, maybe before you get that pain above you, yeah, above your right eye. I, I've got a spot like under my chest that probably gets mm. a little bit tight. Under there, I would probably would be a, a trigger before that. And they're kind of yeah. always on the right side of my body. Okay. And the word you use then is a, is a, is a unique one too. You said trigger. So that's a trigger to sort of say that I'm stressed. And one of the things about triggers is once we pull the trigger on a gun, we don't have any control over where that bullet goes. It's gone. All right. The beauty of these things is that they're just alarm bells. They're just, they're just sirens going off to say, hey, yeah, hey Ross, let's pay attention to this. Mm. So that getting the feeling in that spot on your right side, just under your ribs, that's now got to become your cue to get curious as to what's going on here and what are my options? Because one of the things we'll do is we'll, there'll be a fork in the stress road and we're going to go down the, the, the part that's, that's got threats, it's got fear, it's got anger. And then, it, then you get things like denial and apathy and stuff will happen down the track. But to use that spot that you've got underneath your ribs on your right hand side, use that as your cue to get curious and i think if we use that rather than a trigger for stress then we give ourselves options and then we have another way to do it and i think that's kind of what reset was all about the concept we had with that was catch wait and reset catch the physical sign that you're feeling stressed wait stands for what am i thinking yeah and when we ask that we kind of put the smart part and the emotional part of of our brains back together Mm. you know when you ask what am i thinking and then reset is Reset, I love the idea, and you talked before about, you know, there are certain things in that, in, in the life of a, a mortgage broker that they don't have any control over. You know, you've ordered, you've ordered the valuation. You don't know quite when you're going to get it, all right? So don't waste any time over the things that you can't control. Mm. So control, alt, delete. Control the things you can. Don't worry about the things you can't. What are my alternatives? And what things do I need to delete? And often that's the you know, worry and the concern over things you can't control. It's the stories you're telling yourself that aren't true and delete some of those things that aren't serving you. So I love that idea of control, alt, delete. And that's when, when you get those signals, when I get knots in my stomach, I'll go, wait, what am I thinking? And then control, alt, delete. And that three-step process, I think is amazing as well. Yeah, I think, you know, the awareness is really key, right? If I look back to my mortgage broken career, I went to a part where I sort of opened a second franchise. Um, you know, the, the staff that we wanted to go in that um, franchise sort of didn't work out. So rather than, you know, being, um, you know, having all the staff that we thought we were going to have, we had considerably less staff at that point. So I was really sort of stretched in in my mortgage business. And I sort of had this story in my head that, hey, we're doing, you know, X amount and I'm so busy and, you know, and it was a story that went on repeat um, for probably a month, right? And, right. And 
Some people have those stories go on repeat for 10 years. They go on for decades. Yeah. The, and fact, it, that, the fact that you only had a month is probably a good thing. And again, situation. it may have been longer. It's, it was seven, eight years ago now. But I remember, um, you know, my wife at the time sort of mentioned to me, you know, I've heard this story, you know, she knew it was a story because I'd been saying it wasn't until sort of she mentioned it was a story. But, you know, you mentioned the sort of the two uh, that sit on your shoulder, right? And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between them, right? And so, as you mentioned, some people live for 10 years with this sort of false story. So how do people wake up to that, that they're actually living that victim mentality, and they're telling themselves that story. Yeah, I'm, I, I love the idea of wedge words. Mm-hmm. And, and wedge words are words that you put in between a sentence that usually starts with I am. Mm-hmm. I am stressed. I am worried. I am under the pump. Mm-hmm. All right. And a wedge word goes in the middle that gives yourself a little bit of room to move. I'm noticing that I'm feeling really stressed about this. Mm-hmm. That's not saying I am stressed. It's a, it's a state. Yes, I'm feeling stressed about this. Rather than a trait is I am stressed. Yeah. Um, you get people with that with anxiety. If you ever listen to teenage girls, they'll say things like, oh, that triggers my anxiety. They say stuff like that all the time. And one, the triggers that we talked about before, but it's not my anxiety. It's not your thing. It's not my name's Ross. I've got, you know, blonde hair and blue eyes and I have anxiety. It's, it's not. It's just a feeling. It's like, it's like um, if you're hungry, you're not going to say I'm a really hungry person. You yeah. can say I'm feeling hungry. So to put a wedge word in there, which is something like I'm noticing that I'm feeling stressed with this. Because one of the things, there's a a bias that I've kind of made up called undesirability bias Hmm. that quite often we'll have something that's undesirable and we'll keep telling ourselves that that undesirable things are going to happen and it happens. And one of the the sort of, I don't know, the the consolation prize is at least we're right about that undesirable thing happening. (laughs) And humans love being right. All right, but let's let's change that story straight away because being right about something you didn't want to happen is no good. So yeah. let's let's change the story that we're going to say and do the things that we can to actually change the outcomes to get them what we need, rather than just almost having this confirmation bias of something that we don't want to happen. Yeah, I love that. And a, a big thing is once, and I think a big thing that really shifted this for me, and the reason that I can come back to centre you know, now so easily is because when you get that really simple point that, hey, you know, the present moment is all that we have, right? Mm. And so quite often, you know, the emotions that we're feeling and the stories that we carry are not something that are happening now, right? Quite often our stress is stress about something that's going to happen in a future moment, right? Or Mm -hmm. our depression or we feel bad about something and you you mentioned about you know beating yourself up about something that didn't go right right and uh, tara brock calls it the second arrow right it's not something that happened but it's our emotion and our thoughts about it that we sort of you know stabbing ourselves and are actually more damning to more damaging to us um rather than the actual event that happened if we just sort of you know move on deal with it um and reframe it like you said that control alt delete if we get rid of that, it stops us from stabbing ourselves with that second arrow and feeling worse about a situation. So for me, you know, that embracing really, you know, you know, and asking that question, like right now, what is 
yeah, if I get all the noise and focus on right now, what what is my issue in this present moment? It's quite calming because you realize that, hey, the stuff that you're worried about is either in the past or it's in the future. Like yep. at this moment, you don't have anything to worry about. There's not a problem. And everything in the future you're making up. Yeah. You're 100% making it up. They, they did some research on, on things we worry about. And they, they worked out of all the things we worry about, how much of it actually come true. And it turns out that 85% of things we worry about never come true. 12% actually the thing we worried about come true, but they don't have the negative sort of impact we thought they have. Only 3% of the things we worry about actually have the same negative impact that we thought they would. So one in 33 things that we worry about actually come true and have the negative side effect that we think. So I think worry can sometimes, I think we kind of delude ourselves that it's our way of showing we care. Mm. And I, I don't think it is. Yeah. All right. Our, our worry is just, yeah, you know, okay, here's something that might happen. I'm just going to grab onto that. And our brains, the parts of our brains that do that, you know, they wander into the future, they wander into the past and everything to do with anxiety is all about the future. Everything to do with depression is more or less a, a, a thought distorter of the past. I'm telling myself a different story of the past. We don't remember the past exactly how it was either. We remember it how we remember it, yeah. which is not exactly how it is. We're telling ourselves a story then too. So I, I just love the idea of choosing. Can I just stop you there for a minute because I just want to talk on this point because I was chatting yeah. to a client yesterday and he had a young broker and um, the broker was, you know, letting the client know all the potential pitfalls that may yeah. happen. Right? And again, yeah. you know, rather than stressing on the client's behalf, he was passing the stress onto the client, right? And I think this is the important thing to note, right? Because in a mortgage you know, event, there's all these things that potentially could go wrong, right? Again, there's probably 33 things that could go wrong if we were yep. your thing. But, you know, I was explaining to, you know, the conversation, the principle of this business that, hey, we need to be like a duck, right? Yes, we're paddling underneath and we're, we're sort of have those 33 things in our radar. But Luke, if you're my mortgage client, you come to me because I make the job easy for you. Yeah. And right? I'm calm and I'm going to mirror calmness for you to actually tell you that we've got it under control. Exactly right. Because yes, we can sort of know that, hey, there is potentially 33 things, but you as the client, you don't, you don't care about those 33 things that potentially could happen. All you want is your brand new shiny home and, you know, the, the, um, to park your nice car in that driveway, right? That's the thing that, that you're worried about as a client. You're not worried about all the intricacies of my role as a mortgage broker. Mm. Oh, right. That's your thing you said before about outsourcing the worry to me. It's, it's a great quote. I love that, that if you're a mortgage broker, you, you know, you go to see the mortgage broker, you're outsourcing the worry about the mortgage to them. Let them, exactly. let them, let them deal with it. And, and, and you've and got to be able to deal with that as a challenge rather than a threat. Yeah, and I think that's a big difference. If we can look at whatever it is, is this is a challenge and I've got to overcome this rather than this a threat, oh my God, shit. And then we're in this, this emotional shit storm and nothing gets done because the smart part of our brain's gone missing. Yeah, because what's the worst that can happen, right? If one in those 33 things end up happening, it's at that point in time, we have to get on the phone to the client and come up with another solution. Mm -hmm. right? um, but, you know, 32 out of 33 times, it's going to be okay. 
yeah all those noises that we had in our head yeah um, rather than freaking the client out and it would probably actually put more stress on you because all those potential landmines that you put in their head guess what they're going to be doing they're going to be picking up the phone and going mm. hey ross what's happening what's happening you know they're going to be even more nervous because Who's actually put the pressure onto them? But then there's also the 12% that the bad thing happened, but it wasn't the end of the world. And that happens a lot as well. Hmm. You know, that 12% of the thing that we were worried about happened, but it's actually not the end of the world because my mortgage broker had it under control and they had plan B and C and D over here. We're going to go with plan C because it's actually going to work really well. And it's actually not that big a deal now. We're all okay. And we can look at it in 12 months time. Yeah, exactly. you know what I mean. So the thing that you want, you didn't want to happen, happened. But the actual, the knock-on effect of that wasn't as bad as you thought, and that happens a lot as well. So you know, that's where separating separating worry and care, I think, is a really good thing. That you don't don't use the fact that I'm worried about something as a sign of how much you care, because it's just not effective. Yeah, and parents do that a lot. I worry so much about my kid because I love them so much. Yeah, but. Yeah, you can love them a lot without being quite so, you know, sort of worried about that stuff. Definitely, definitely. So, I mean, this is about stress, but, you know, some of the other things that we were talking about is sort of planning um, some times in your day so you can sort of decouple from everything that's happening. And so what's yeah. your sort of term? You've got a term for this. You want to talk a little bit about Yeah, it? we've got some research. I, I presented at a conference. It's actually a National Mortgage Brokers Conference yeah. um, uh, about a year and a half ago. And um, I was on stage with Adam Fraser, who's a really, really great author. If you ever want to read a book, The Third Space and Thrive, are two great books by Adam Fraser. And Adam was talking about how there's little things that we can do during our day and through our week and through our month to sort of reset and, and sort of calm the farm. And I've kind of taken his idea and ran with it a little bit. That I think we've got to be able to have mini resets. And a mini reset is something that, okay, I'm in an emotional shitstorm here. How do I calm the farm? And the fastest way to do that is either through movement or through breathing. Mm. So do either of those. I know you meditate a lot and stuff like that, and that would help as well. Yeah. But just to breathe into, into your stomach. And when you breathe into your diaphragm, that actually sends a message to your brain to sort of say, look, calm, everything's okay. Chill out, relax. And I think we did that at the, at the conference the other week, got people to just do three or four breaths. And it's amazing how instant, you know, that's within 20 seconds. And all of a sudden you've changed your biology because when you change your biology, then, you, then your emotions and your feelings and your thoughts all change. But if you're letting your, your biology run, run right, then you're not going to do that. So a micro reset, a mini reset is something you can do in the moment to calm the farm. I think one of the one of the hassles we have with our life now is it's so go 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 all the time and even when we're not going we're grabbing our phone and that's kind of stimulating us all the time as well mm. so i think we need to have a, at least once a week to have an hour of something that we look forward to that doesn't there's just something that brings us joy and that might be going to yoga or it might be catching up with friends for a coffee or it might be going for a walk with the dog but something that actually helps us reset and that we actually look forward to. Mm. Then I think we need to have, you know, you then need to have something once a month to have half a day that I just do nothing. Mm. I'm just going to absolutely chill out. If you want to watch Netflix, I, I love that. I call this a, a, a macro reset, whereas you, you've got a half, half a day that doesn't have anything I need to achieve. 
All right. And I'm all, what I want to achieve is just to put some, put some juice back in my battery. And then you've got the mega reset, which is when you have a holiday and stuff like that. Cause one of the things you probably notice have running big businesses like you have Ross is you go on holiday, you have a week at a tropical island. This is going to be great. It takes you three days to settle down. You have about two days where you're actually relaxed and then you start doing to-do lists of what you're going to do when you get back to work. So you've actually gone on holidays for a week and had two days off. And I think if you can do all of these little in the moment resets, some things that you look forward to every week, a full reset, you know, at least once a month. I think if you can get into the habit of doing those and the cadence of doing those, I think when you actually go on holidays, you can be on holidays in day one because you've learned how to calm the farm quickly. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these guys, even when they go on holidays because they're one man operators or they're the key sort of brokers within their business, mm-hmm. um, because it's a constant you know, their business doesn't stop when yep. they are on holidays, right? So even though they're on holidays, because they haven't structured their business and scaled their business the right way, they get stuck where they're working yeah. on holidays, right? So what suggestions do you give to these guys that have no choice, that they go away and they're still on? Yeah, there's a couple of things with that. One is what are they getting out of their business being so dependent on them? And there's a little element of ego in that. My bu- I'm so important, I'm so special that my business oh, it has to have me there or it's not gonna work. And there's an element of ego in that. You might not want to admit it and it might be that thing that we don't talk about at parties, but there's an element of ego to that, that we've got to be able to catch ourselves and be aware of that. Because if there wasn't that ego there, we'd be teaching other people how to do things better. And great leaders are always, great leaders make other people around them better. Yeah. So that might be part of it. All right. So how am I holding on to control? Because I'm the only person that's good enough and important enough to do this. And I think that's that should probably get some alarm bells going. If you are the only person that can do it and you're on holidays, just pick an hour. Pick an hour. I'm going to do this from and I'd probably put it late in the afternoon. I'm going to do it from four till five and put every bit of worry, every bit of work stuff you got to do. And I'm going to punch it out from four till five and put it in a box and say, and then once that box closes, I'm going to go back and be with my family and go and do my holidays. So they would, the first one is probably the more important one. What is it? What am I getting out of being so important? And then the next part is, okay, if I am that important, I don't have any other options. How can I put it into the smallest amount of time, the smallest box I can get it done and then move on. So I'm actually getting to reset properly when I'm on my holidays. Yeah, definitely. I find um, what you said there, that sort of the ego and no one could potentially do it as, as good as me or... Oh, you're very important. Yeah, and you know, it's that sort of shift from going, hey, it's about, you know, our business was Aussie Parramatta. It's about mm-hmm. getting the team and getting the experience from Aussie Parramatta not getting the Ross Lacane experience and be willing to be okay with that, right? And, and sort of positioning that with the clients, which I think is... Uh, which is really important. Because that's taking ego out of it. Yeah. There, there, there's some ego going on is I'm the only person good enough to do this. Yeah. And we've got, and again, awareness, options, actions. We've got, to, we've got to be aware of that. Then we've got some options of what we can do. And then we've got, to, we've got to do the things that a leader would do and a leader would make the people around them better so that they're less reliant on them. Yeah, and that, that's a way of sort of letting go of ego and, and being a good leader. Yeah. So in terms of there's been some great takeaways, right? So I think, you know, if if people don't take anything else, take that, you know, the awareness, like stopping, what's the awareness? 
uh, the options and then the actions, right? And again, you know, no action is um, has to be forever. If we try it, it doesn't work. We can always, you know, come back to the start and sort of go, okay, well, the awareness was that didn't work. What's my next option? And what? Well, then you, you're not coming back to the start. You're coming back to another another place ahead of the start that we know at least one of the roads that doesn't work. Hmm. And we've learned a bit from that. So wherever we go next, we've got that with a little bit more experience than we had when we first started. Yeah. And so we're, we're building on that knowledge, every failure, we're building on that knowledge of what doesn't work. And that brings us closer to something that does. Yeah, love it. And then, uh, you know, so you've got the, the book and I recommended that book to my uh, teenager, which is Reset. And I think it's mm -hmm. you, it was free on uh, Spotify and I found it there and I was able to sort of text it to my son, who's a you know, perfect candidate, right? Going into right. year 11. Um, so I was able to sort of text him that book. So do you want to sort of, you know, just talk a little bit about that and for you know, the brokers that have got sort of teenage kids and, you know, why you wrote it and, you know, what, what that's about a bit. Yeah. Well, you have to think of some of the really big things in your stress bucket. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I notice when I talk at conferences and stuff is the moment I start to talk about, you know, teenagers being stressed, every parent with a teenager in the whole room sort of sticks up like a meerkat to sort of say, wow, I want to, I want to pay attention to this. Because our kids are really struggling. Our kids are living in a place where um, they've got constant things coming at them. They're not stepping away from their phones. They've got constant stimulation. And so they're not giving themselves a chance to reset. And we had, a, we had a, a, an awful thing happen in that one of my daughter's friends took her own life with suicide, which was just horrendous. And Zara was, was the girl who tragically died. And her best friend was Ali. And Ali and I wrote this book together. And what Ali did was she, she helped me make things simpler. I get all nerdy about, you know, neuroreceptors and, you know, all of this sort of stuff and all of the, the hormones and all that sort of stuff. And Ali just made it simple. And that's where Catch, Weight and Reset comes from. And so we wrote a book that, about two teenagers going through, going through the last year of school and how they can actually reframe the story they're telling themselves. Um, you can get the book for free from my website at lukemathers.com.au or if you just type in reset and Luke Mathers into, your, into where you listen to your podcast, you can actually listen to it free there. But that, it was one of those things that, and Ali's doing great now. She, she was really struggling after her best friend died, but writing the book and giving her some tools to actually help her with that, I think you know, it worked really well for her and she's great now. And, um, and she's helped me a lot too. I, I got to see it from a teenager's point of view and, um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a really good experience, actually. Go, I love the idea of going upstream. There's no point helping 50-year-olds with stress. Why don't we help 15-year-olds and give them the tools then and they can use them for their whole life? So I do a lot of work in schools and stuff now, which, is, which has been really rewarding as well. So to be able to go upstream and, and help the kids at 15 rather than sorting their lives out when they're 50. So do you get many messages back from the kids after you present at the schools? Like, I get a lot of messages back from parents. Okay. Um, you don't get many back from the kids, but you definitely get them back from the parents. And even if the parents read them and help and, and understand the tools, because they can use them themselves. These, these tools aren't for kids, they're for everyone. Yeah. But you know, things like understanding catch, weight and reset and understanding why we're doing some of the things we do, um, I think can work really well. So yeah, I love that analogy. And, you know, the, the book in the book, you talk about um, weight and the, the acronym for weight is what am I thinking now, you know? Yeah. And so 
Yeah, I think that's a great one. So catch yourself when you sort of get the feeling. or the Catch emotion. the physical signs. Yeah. Wait is what am I thinking? And then the control alt deletes the reset. So catch, wait and reset is the, is the sort of three-step way to do that. Yeah. And wait, wait is a really cool thing because what you've, you've got this emotional brain that's, that's sending alarm bells everywhere. You've got this smart brain that's, that's making up stories. And when we can put those two together, then we can actually decide what, what, what a good alternative is. But if, if you're being run by your emotional brain or you're being run by the stories that you, your, your sort of new brain are making up, then we're in a little bit of strife. So we've got to be able to put the two together and work out a way that's actually going to serve us. So if you take nothing else out of this uh, podcast today, take these two sort of little things that Luke talks about, share your awareness, your options and your actions, and then the other one uh, that he just mentioned then is, you know, the the, the catch, uh, wait, and reset. I think they're sort of two real gems that, you know, people can, you know, walk away with. And I know, you know, for me, that awareness piece uh, has been really important, right? I think that is the cornerstone of sort of everything is just being more aware of these subtle thoughts and feelings and not taking, as you said, not taking them too seriously, right? Really mm -hmm. living in the moment more and just, you know, coming from that place of awareness of what's happening right now, right? And again, life becomes so much fuller when you're able to sort of live from, from that place. And, you know, whilst you might have these emotions that sort of, you know, comes out ways through you, you know, you become the ocean. You're not the the sort of the, the waves on top of it. And uh, you know, you know, really thank you for sort of sharing everything that you've shared today. I, I ask every guest, you know, this question. And again, you're not in the mortgage broking industry, but you've obviously scaled a massive business uh, in spec savers over 100 offices in 100 days. Is absolutely massive. So what is your advice for someone looking to, you know, scale and accelerate the growth of their business? What would be your one sort of piece of advice uh, to someone really looking to sort of, you know, make that step and commit to change? Probably finding, finding ways to make the people around you better and finding ways to, to almost palm off the credit for that. You know, the, the really good leaders are the ones that are going to find a way to actually give the credit to someone else and help someone else feel like they're making the contribution. The ones where their egos are a little bit fragile are going to try and grab all of that for themselves. So, you know, if you've got a billion dollar uh, mortgage book, then, wow, that thank you so much, X, Y, and Z. You guys have all, have, have all sort of got us to that. And um, I reckon there's a, I've, I was always a big fan of the pronoun police. The moment leaders started using me and me and I and all of that sort of stuff all the time, we knew that it was about them. The moment they're using us and we, um, you know that it's about building building a team. And I think that's probably the only way we can scale is to make sure that it's all about me and us, uh, a we and us rather than you know me and I. And to be able to get, you know, the best leaders in the world are the ones that make other people better. Best leaders create the, the best leaders. And um, I think that's what we've got to aspire to rather than just how good am I? Yeah, I love that. I love that. And um, there's a great book that sort of who, not how, that sort of uh, talks mm. a lot about that, right? So Yeah, it does. And um, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, 
you, you can't do it without a, a team around you. And it's really important. And again, that's what gives you that freedom that comes with scaling a business. So thanks, Luke. Again, I'm sure we could chat for hours. I thought we just, I'm sure we could, mate. You know, we just sort of, uh, it was the tip of the iceberg today, but we could uh, definitely chat for hours. So if people want to know more about you, how do they find... Um, you and how do they get some more information about you and what you do? Um, probably lukemathers.com.au. Luke, L-U-K-E-M-A-T-H-E-R-S.com.au is probably the easiest way. Um, Luke at lukemathers.com.au is my email, so you can do that. Uh, LinkedIn, if you go to Luke Mathers Speaker, you'll find me there. And um, yeah, if, anyone, if anyone's having some hassles with their really feeling under the pump and stress, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching, which I thoroughly enjoy. I'm I, I think I learn more from one-on-one -on -one coaching than I teach anyone else, but I really, that, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to do. Um, and particularly if you've got a slightly bigger team, we have a lot of things. I have a program called um, Building Stress-Free Teams, which we go in and we take a day out to be able to come out to work out exactly what are the things that we're doing that are helping, what are the things that we aren't, and how can we change and build a team that's really united. And uh, that's been a godsend for all the businesses we've done, done that with. So that's something we can have a look at as well. Uh, awesome. And I think, you know, do yourself a favor, jump on the website, definitely jump onto um, the website and grab the book or jump onto Spotify and have a listen of that reset book. As I say, whilst it was written um, by Luke and uh, a teenager, it's definitely not for teenagers. It's, it, you know, it helps them, but it's for everyone. Uh, so thanks again, Luke. This has been another My pleasure, mate. This has been another episode of the Billion Dollar Broker podcast. Uh, I'm Ross Lacane. There's three ways if you want to interact with us. First is subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast channel. It's also, you can find it on our website at billiondollarbroker.com.au. There you can also, if you're interested in one of our coaching programs, you can uh, complete the inquiry and we'll get in touch and see how we can help you. And we also have a Facebook group, Billion Dollar Broker for Mortgage Brokers. And uh, if you're not already a part of it, jump on and join the group. Until next time, I'm Ross Lacane, and I'll see you soon.